from no cyclones to three. We're seeing enhanced amounts of rainfall generally over the area covering Indonesia, northern Australia and into the South Pacific. Catching a ride on the jet stream. If our routes have been flown rather than the tracks over last winter, they could have saved 6.7 million kilograms of carbon dioxide. And everything we know about climate. The report creates a mix of hope and alarm about various aspects of the global climate. It's Friday the 29th of January and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. The Southern Hemisphere is well into its summer season and despite a slow start, cyclone activity is starting to ramp up. Here with the latest details, tropical prediction scientist Julian Hemming. There was a strong tropical cyclone in the South Pacific earlier in the season in December, uh, Cyclone Yasa, but it's been fairly quiet in that area since then. But we do expect in the next three or four days to see a lot more tropical cyclone activity develop both across northern Australia and into the South Pacific. There are other forces at work here. So we've got the local effects and we all know that sea surface temperature and wind shear play very important parts in creating these huge tropical cyclones. But also the Madden Julian Oscillation, not named after you, I must point that out. Could you just explain in a couple of sentences what that is and why that has enhanced activity across this region? Yes, during the course of the wet season, if you like, there's phases where it's more wet, uh, there's more kind of convective activity, as we call it, and enhanced rainfall. Sometimes over parts of the Indian Ocean, then it might progress eastwards towards the zone through northern Australia and Indonesia and then across into the South Pacific. And we're seeing one of those phases at the moment whereby we're seeing enhanced amounts of rainfall generally over the area covering Indonesia, northern Australia and into the South Pacific. And sometimes as part of that, in in addition to the kind of general enhanced wet weather, we can get cyclones um, spin up in this area as well, which can of course cause additional problems from very strong winds and uh, storm surge as well as heavy rain. So we're going from a phase which is very quiet to something which is quite significant. Yes, we do expect in the next three or four days some cyclones to spin up. If I can be a bit more specific, it looks like we'll be getting a deep tropical low developing over parts of Western Australia. Now, initially, this will be over land, but it's possible it will run along the coast of Western Australia and may just move offshore. And if it does move just offshore, then it's, it'll probably be uh, become a named tropical cyclone. But even if it doesn't, it'll bring some really heavy uh, rainfall across the whole of the northwestern coast of Australia. And then if we move across the other side of Australia, just off the coast of Queensland and moving out into the uh, South Pacific and the Coral Sea, there are indications that a, a tropical cyclone will develop there in the next few days. But the other area which we're watching closely is a little bit further out into the South Pacific, where there's a possible cyclone developing between the islands of Vanuatu and Fiji. And we would expect by the end of the weekend a cyclone to be active there and possibly threaten uh, Fiji in particular and then moving into Tonga after that. So some uh, more heavy rain there and the potential for some very strong winds over the next, uh, say, three to four, maybe five, six days. Julian Hemming talking to me earlier. 
On May the 21st, 1927, Charles A. Lindbergh completed the first ever solo non-stop transatlantic flight, flying his Spirit of St. Louis aeroplane from Long Island, New York to Paris, France. Technology has advanced immeasurably since then, and so too has our knowledge of how atmospheric conditions can affect air travel. The jet stream can have a major effect on journey times. Witness the event in 2019 when a strong jet stream that produced Storm Kira also delivered a BA flight from New York to London in a record 4 hours and 56 minutes, with a top speed of 825 miles an hour. This week, a paper published by the University of Reading reveals more on utilising the strength and direction of Earth's upper winds. Here's lead author Cathy Wells. At the moment, we rely on tracks across the North Atlantic and aeroplanes hop onto one end of a track and follow that track right across for most of what is their cruise phase. And the cruise phase of an aeroplane is where it's at its sort of highest point and continues along at that altitude. Those altitudes are between 35,000 and 40,000 feet. And that's where the winds tend to be the strongest in the jet stream. And the jet stream is a nice wave of wind that goes between North America and Great Britain. And if planes can make the most of that, but also avoid it at times when it's going in the opposite direction from their flight, then that's going to make a big difference to the amount of fuel they burn. Currently, how do pilots know where the jet stream is and how to jump onto it? At the moment, pilots have their routes planned well ahead for them. And those plans have to work around safety because planes can't get too close to each other because there's very poor situational awareness over the North Atlantic because there isn't the radar coverage for air traffic control to be able to monitor where the planes are at all points in a journey. What's happened now is that we've got some low Earth orbit satellites and their network allows 100% global coverage. So it's not so much that pilots know where the jet stream is, it's more that pilots know where the other planes are. And also air traffic management know where every plane in that section of the air is. And that means that more flexible routes can be used. The tracks at the moment, the most efficient tracks, we can still make some improvements to those, but it's the least efficient tracks which are really wasting a lot of fuel. And that waste of fuel means more carbon dioxide emissions because the amount of carbon dioxide that's emitted is obviously proportional to the amount of fuel that's burned. Have you done any calculations of how much they could reduce their emissions by? So what we did was we looked at the models of the track journeys and we got some information from Nats to tell us exactly how many planes flew along each track each day over last winter. And that gave us the idea that actually if our routes had been flown rather than the tracks over last winter, they could have saved 6.7 million kilograms of carbon dioxide. Have you had much interest in your paper so far? There's been a lot of interest in the paper. It's really a proof of concept at this stage to show that if routing can be more flexible, then there are ways to save. Airlines would like to save money, but they're also coming under increasing scrutiny about their carbon footprint. And if we can give them that kind of extra fuel efficiency immediately in a low risk strategy, then that's going to really help. That was Cathy Wells from the University of Reading. Climate science is a diverse field made up of many scientists working in a range of disciplines. Now, a new report has pulled together the work of scientists around the globe to try to present a headline view of what we think we know about climate. Here with the details, Graham Madge. 
This week, a new report focusing on 10 new climate insights was presented to Patricia Espinoza, the Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, otherwise known as UNFCCC. The report's 57 authors, which included the Met Office's Professor Adam Scaife, identified some of 2020's most important findings from within the sphere of climate science. As expected, the report creates a mix of hope and alarm about various aspects of the global climate. On the good news front, the report found that climate models are improving, allowing better simulation of temperature and hydrological extremes over longer timescales. The increasing level of skill associated with the simulation of droughts, for example, offers great promise. Over seasonal timescales and at a regional level, there is great optimism about providing new opportunities for improved management of water resources. On the negative side, recent advances have made it possible to better understand the impact on emissions from rapidly thawing permafrost, particularly those areas of frozen soil exposed suddenly from deep layers. Scientists believe these abrupt thaw effects could as much as double the emissions from permafrost thaw under moderate and high emission scenarios. The report will certainly become essential reading for delegates attending the COP26 meeting in Glasgow later this year. January has been a cold and wet month so is there any respite on the horizon? Here with the latest outlook, Aidan McGiven. It's another weekend of contrast with freezing cold air across northern parts of the UK, as low as minus 12 Celsius by Saturday morning over some snow-covered parts of Scotland and certainly a widespread frost for Scotland, Northern Ireland and Northern England. Meanwhile, mild and wet weather is trying to push in from the southwest and it will turn wet across southwest England, Wales, central and southern parts of England by Saturday morning. But as that mixes with the cold air, we can expect some snow across parts of Wales and central England, especially over the higher ground with as much as 15 centimetres above 250 metres for parts of Wales, for example, and some accumulating snow over higher parts of central England as well. Snow warning in force, there could be some disruption from this. For the southwest of England, it's rain and some heavy rain at that. Rain warning in force for Devon and Cornwall. Another freezing cold night to come on Saturday across much of the UK, a widespread frost and the lowest temperatures again over snow-covered parts of Scotland. And then we do it all again. Another weather system pushes in from the southwest during Sunday, bringing more wet weather to southwest England and perhaps bringing further snow to higher parts of Wales and central England. Next week, it stays cold with further wintry weather in places. Thank you, Aidan. Now, just before we go, over to Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here are the weather extremes for last week recorded at Met Office observation sites between Monday the 18th of January and Sunday the 24th of January. The mildest day was Tuesday the 19th when 12.5 Celsius was observed at Charsfield in Suffolk. Several very cold temperatures were recorded over the snowfields of the Scottish Highlands last week. 
The lowest was minus 11.4 Celsius at Dalwini in Invernessia on Sunday the 24th. The days are starting to get longer and the sunniest place was RAF Washisham in Suffolk. 7.6 hours of sunshine were seen here on Wednesday the 20th. Very high rainfall was recorded as Storm Christoph swept across the UK. The highest figures were recorded at Capelcurig in Snowdonia National Park in North Wales. 111 millimetres was recorded in the 24 hours up to 9am on the 20th. Thanks, Martin. That's it from Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir and producer is Adrian Holloway. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.